Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. When entrepreneurs face challenges like choosing a business structure or access to capital, they call the accountants and advisors at Eisner Amper. Connect with them, EisnerAmper.com slash tech. The dollar sinking to a five-month low, commodities gaining with emerging markets, and government bonds advancing as central banks from the U.S. to Norway indicated a willingness to keep monetary policy accommodative. U.S. stock index futures are lower, as are shares in Europe. S&P E-mini futures down. 8 points. Dow E-mini futures down 63. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 22. The DAX in Germany is down 1.8 percent. Ten-year Treasury up 10.30 seconds. The yield 1.87 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 1.4 percent or 52 cents to 38.98 a barrel. And COMEX gold is down 3.3 percent or $40.90 to 12.70.70 an ounce. The euro, $1.1319, the yen won 10.85. Caterpillar shares down 3% this morning, the biggest maker of construction and mining machinery, saying first quarter sales and profit will trail analyst estimates amid a deepening commodity price slump. Mondelez International down more than 2% after Pershing Square Holdings, the publicly traded security of Bill Ackman's activist hedge fund, cut its stake. And FedEx up 5% after raising the bottom of its full-year earnings forecast range. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen Moscow, thank you very much. Um, if you're going to react to the Fed or you're going to react, I guess, to uh, any of the corporate news out today, Tom, you got to do it before noon when the NCAA Tournament kicks off, March Madness, and everybody on Wall Street is going to be watching the games, uh, probably uh, paying a little bit less attention to their Bloomberg screens. Who who do you have? You're you're partnered up with uh, with Francine Lacroix. Who do you have? It's my annual mistake. Here? I try to find someone. The, the good news is Francine Lacroix, by definition, over in London's smarter than me on the brackets. Uh, she was adamant that we go with blue uniforms. So we've done that, and my end result, which there was, I think, like 40 years ago, I actually got two of the final four. North Carolina beating Kansas. Okay. Michigan State Michigan State, and Oregon show up for the soiree. Francine was adamant that we pick Iowa State and Utah, except I, I figured out five minutes into the conversation that she thought Utah was a city <laughs> and not a state. Utah's is is a good team. Uh, I've got I've got to go with Purdue because because of, our executive yes. producer is from Purdue. Right. Um they they get crushed by Duke. That's about as much right. knowledge as I have. Well, I, we're not that all far apart. I do have North Carolina losing to Kansas in the end. Uh I don't know where George Friedman is on the whole thing. Uh geopolitical futures founder <laughs> and chairman. I don't know if it's a threat to world security or well, not. The fact that all of America is going to be paying attention to college basketball for the next few days, George. It was just too complicated for me. I could never figure it out. I still can't figure out how basketball is played. Well, I, you know, I, I see Texas playing Northern Iowa, and Texas A&M plays Green Bay, setting us up for a Texas-Texas A&M second-round affair. And that'll be a civil war down here. That will be a civil that. war maybe, down there. Maybe they'll secede or something. That'll be like Thanksgiving Day with the cadets and Hullabaloo, Canuck, Canuck, and all that. George Friedman with us uh, uh, in Texas uh, with Geopolitical Futures. We need badly, George, an update on Mr. Putin. Uh, I, I mean, I'm very concerned about Mr. Putin, except we all were a year ago, 18 months ago. And with everything else, he sort of drifted away. Give us a Putin update right now. Well, he did a pretty brilliant job in Syria. 
Uh, one of the things he did that nobody realizes is he saved Obama's bacon. He saved Obama's bacon because the United States wanted Assad to fall, but not now, because we couldn't afford to have him fall and then ISIS potentially take over Damascus. On the other hand, we couldn't defend Assad for political reasons. He came in. He protected Assad. He sort of stabilized the situation. Uh, we don't have to deal with Assad. Then he left. Now what Putin has done is set this up. Look, I helped you out in, in Syria. And, yeah, there was a lot of cooperation on the ground because you can't carry out airstrikes uh, without collaborating, at least knowing where each, each guy is going. Now let's talk Ukraine. Let's find a settlement in Ukraine, get rid of the sanctions. And it was brilliant. But underneath it, he's sitting on a volcano. Oil prices are crushing the Russians. There's no way around that fact. And no matter how brilliant his maneuvering is in Syria, or even in Ukraine, it's not going to save him. Uh, he has serious problems. The psychology of the Russians, though, doesn't that play to his advantage, the, the belief that things are always going to be bad? Because there doesn't seem to be any erosion in his public support. Well, in the United States, when wars begin... There's tremendous uh, enthusiasm. I mean, remember Desert Storm and 90% support for Bush. Russia's no different. But it is absolutely true that the Russians have been geopolitically very effective in spite of a bad economy. There's a kind of belief uh, in the West that to be effective, you have to have a good economy. They won World War II with a terrible economy. They were, went through the Cold War mostly with a terrible economy. They've always had a terrible economy. And yet they're a great power. So you have to be very careful about, you know, what the break point is for the Russians. Oil of these prices are pretty close to that break point. It's going to be tough to maintain that popularity next six months or a year. Then what would happen? Well, what happens is that you either increase the repression at home, or there are other factions inside of the Kremlin uh, that may want to push him aside and try other policies. You really have to remember that while we think of Putin as a dictator, the sole dictator, in fact, um, he's not. He is a leader. He's very powerful, but he has enemies, right. and he has ignored him. Give us an update on his, his wealth, if you will. I mean that from a national standpoint. Do you have any understanding of the quality of his reserves and the dynamics of those reserves given the price of oil? They're said to be about two and a half years of oh, like that. that'll go go <clears throat> from. But you don't go to two and a half years and suddenly fall off a cliff. Everybody knows mm -hmm. that two and a half years, and everybody knows that they're going to be running right. out. And he's cutting now, and he's cutting. You know the kind of services they have to cut. That's going right. to get home. Um, I, I, I want to switch if we can as we go to Wisconsin, April fifth to a discussion of the foreign policy you've heard in our great political derby. Let's start with Secretary Clinton. She's, I guess, the easiest. But is there a Clinton doctrine, and is it distinctive from the president's doctrine? Um, the president's doctrine is pretty clear. It is we do not send our forces first into wars we can't win. And second, we try to get allies in, in the region, the Middle East, for example. We try to get the Turks, the Iranians, who in a sense are on our side because they oppose uh, the same people we oppose, Saudi Arabia, and potentially Israel. 
So his doctrine is pretty much the idea that going in first is a way to lose wars. Uh, Clinton, I don't think, has a doctrine. She's primarily opportunistic, one eye on uh, domestic politics, where President's eye should be, and another eye uh, very much focused in on the tactics. I don't think she has a long-term plan. Let me uh, switch to the other side of the political aisle. This is fascinating. The Economist ranks its top ten global threats, and their list is pretty similar to what we've been talking about here, China, Russia. But they put Donald Trump winning the U.S. presidential election on their list of top ten global threats. Well, that's because they're very silly people. Look, the American president is not powerful. He doesn't do anything unilaterally. Let's assume Trump won. He would have a Congress with all the people who are now mobilizing in both parties to try to stop him. In the same way that Obama couldn't get anything through Congress, all the things that Trump says he's going to do, he can't do. In the worst-case scenario, our founders created a situation to paralyze him. But also remember that Trump is not a stupid man. Trump has touched a nerve in American politics. He's going to use it. Problem is that nerve isn't large enough to win. So as he moves into the general election, he either expands his base by behaving more like an ordinary candidate, or he's not going to win. So there are so many hurdles there. But again, uh, you know, the economist, the thing about Trump is it's great to make him appear to be this terrible monster. He's a very strange man. I wouldn't vote for him. But the idea that he represents a threat to global stability is, well, sells magazines, I guess. George Friedman, thank you very much. Uh, the level of cynicism speech. coming out of Mr. Friedman this morning was, was incalculable. Yeah. It must be because Texas, Texas A&M could be well, that's just one of his a game top in the West West. Right there, the, the, Texas, Texas A&M basketball. Texas A&M, yeah. George Friedman, thank you so much. Greatly uh, appreciate it with geopolitical uh, futures. Mike, uh, help me here with currency movements. I'm looking at yen, 110.90. To be clear here, we're not looking for unilateral intervention. Yeah, but that is, uh, as they would say across the pond, you'd be gobsmacked by that kind of number. Which um, we may be in three minutes. We're going to get the Bank of England, and we have a, a distinguished guest who's going to break it all down for us. Uh, we've imported he's our, he's our Caroline negative. Hyde from Bloomberg, London. Oh, is that why she's here? Well, it's not because she wants your autograph. She goes, let's go to the plaza for cocktails. And I go, we need a pole vault to get across Fifth Avenue. Yeah, we're of the we're staying State on this Parade. side of Fifth Avenue to celebrate today. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up in just a moment, we're going to get, uh, in three minutes, we're going to get the Bank of England decision. Mark Carney will be out, and Caroline Hyde will help us break it all down here on Bloomberg Surveillance.